0: Welcome back to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Casey. Spring is finally here and your thoughts, like mine, might be turning to travel. And since most of us haven't traveled as much over the last few years, it might be time to take a look at how do you get the most out of this year's travel experiences. And there's an interesting aspect to this that you may not have considered much yet. How to travel more mindfully. I've invited one of my previous guests, Dr. Francine Toter to join us because she knows a lot about this topic. Francine Toter, PhD, retired from the faculty of California State University, Sacramento, and then recently retired from private practice as a clinical psychologist. Her book that we'll be discussing today is Inward Traveler, 51 Ways to Explore the World Mindfully. And whether you're planning to travel across an ocean or just across the street, Inward Traveler provides ways to sense the world deeply and in the present moment. Her first visit with us was about her previous book, The Vintage Years, Finding Your Inner Artist, writer, musician, or visual artist after sixty. And that book began to take shape after she thought about her retirement and meaningful ways to spend her newfound time, as well as positive aging in general. She rented a cello, found a teacher, and began learning to play this life size instrument, which she now practices daily. Proof this never too late to learn. But more importantly that the fine arts might be the best way to stimulate brain growth and enhance health past 60 according to recent neuroscience research. That book isn't a memoir but it's based on neuroscience research and interviews with late blooming artists of all kinds. She's also the author of When Your Child Is Gone Learning to Live Again and Your Kids Are Grown Moving On With and Without Them. Her extensive writing on diverse topics has appeared in many magazines professional journals, and edited book chapters. She resides with her husband in the San Francisco Bay Area, where she continues to write and play music on her cello. It is so great to have the opportunity to talk with you once again.
1: Thank you so much, Joe. It's a pleasure.
0: I was just mentioning to you before we started recording that the last conversation I had with you became the number one most downloaded podcast out of all 205 that we've done so far.
1: Wow, thank you for letting me know that. It helps to relieve some of the jitters I have when I public speak.
0: Uh, The vintage years really struck a chord with people. And so this time I'm excited to talk to you about Inward Traveler. And starting off, what inspired you to write your book, Inward Traveler?
1: Well, even though I stopped my practice and my ties with academia a long time ago, I'll always be a psychologist. So the book includes everything... Psychological about ways to navigate life. I'm a curious and keen observer of people, and as i traveled around the world after retiring, I noticed that people often don't attend to their lives in the moment, an absence of what the Buddhists call mindfulness. I realize that many of us miss the joy of our senses, taking in the sounds of birds on a feeder right outside of our kitchen window, maybe or the smells of early spring, or the sight of snow clinging to tree branches and so forth. Kids do this very well. The Buddhists call this the beginner's mind. So whether you travel around the world, or you're sitting on your balcony, or your stoop, which is an East Coast thing, or your park bench, there's much experience to experience as an inward
0: traveler. So how can mindfulness enhance travel?
1: I think mindfulness enables you to stay present in your experience instead of focusing on what comes next, like finding an exotic meal in in a special place or something in the past, like reviewing your photos or or talking about yesterday's events. Travel, whether, again, if it's just around the block or to distant places, gives us an opportunity to consciously choose to notice, not just to see, uh, but to fully immerse all of the senses in in what's happening, even briefly.
0: You mentioned the beginner's mind before, and it sounds like curiosity and a beginner's mind sound like great things to bring with us on our travels. What are some of the ways that you've used these in your travels? Well, here's a really strange and
1: quirky example. But I was once... Oh, let me just start with this. The Atlantic and Pacific Oceans converge near Cape Horn, Chile. Which is the farthest south you can go before you get to Antarctica. And once while traveling there on a ship, I couldn't wait to see the exact point where the oceans met. What did I expect? Something noticeable, I guess, like different currents or a shift in in the water's colors or the size of the waves. I thought it would really help me understand the physical world and how it works. I watched intensely but I couldn't see a difference. (laughs) Actually, there are temperature differences, but they're clearly not observable. But what I did observe is everyone kind of milling around on the ship, paying no attention to anything. And I thought, well, I might not have seen what I wanted to see, but at least I was looking.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. So you mentioned you'll always be a psychologist. And for that reason, let me ask you this. How can travel be therapeutic?
1: Well, It gives us permission to try on an alter ego or to be a different person. We can try on new behaviors, get away from old, ineffective, or detrimental patterns. Repeating the same thoughts and behaviors in the same context always produces the same results. But a journey of any kind can kind of shake up the context and allow you to create new links to new outcomes. Also, nature is therapeutic. It's soothing and plentiful, even in big cities. Remember, parks are everywhere. In fact, I was in Berlin last October and I was amazed at the green space in that uh, very populated city. So you can always find a place to rejuvenate yourself or try on new behavior.
0: So, this alter ego thing you mentioned is intriguing. And I know in one of the chapters you wrote about using travel as a way to try on a new you. And I'm curious, what are some ways that people can try on a new them? Okay,
1: good question. Well, you have nothing to lose when you try on new behaviors uh, with strangers who you'll never see again. If you know you talk too much, you could try being what I call an involved listener. You're just being much more of a listener than a talker. If you generally are shy, you can try initiating conversation. Here's an example from my own life. Years ago, I went to a restaurant alone when I was in Europe. This was not something I'd ever done before. I'd never been to a restaurant alone. I didn't want to, but I was hungry. And I pushed myself to do so with some interesting outcomes. One thing that happened was that the maitre d couldn't understand why a woman would be eating dinner alone in Paris. <laughs> And so he he kind of insisted that I join a single man at a table. And when I did, I discovered we couldn't really speak the same language. I, I did not speak French. He did not speak English. or I think he spoke English, but he chose not to. And we finally decided we could both speak a little bit of Spanish. So that's how we communicated. But that was really charming and interesting and fun. And that would never have happened if I hadn't pushed myself to try out a behavior I would never do at home.
0: So great, great opportunity to step outside our comfort zone. Right. And experiment makes sense. So of course, one thing we know is that not everything goes according to plan when you travel. And how can reframing help when there are those inevitable bumps in the road?
1: Yeah, we all plan our trips really carefully and we decide we have to do certain things. And when we can't and when things are thwarted, It's easy to be disappointed or angry or sad, but let that be just the first emotion. And it's normal, natural. Let it be fine. But then be curious about what the alternatives might be and use your beginner's mind to see the joy in the alternatives. Once on a trip around South America, a port that I very much wanted to go to was closed because of storm damage. And while everyone on the ship was still griping about that, we got to see a majestic ice field and a melting glacier in Patagonia. It was off the beaten path because of the port being closed, but it was majestic and incredible. I have a picture of it in the in the book. And it's quite amazing because this is a place that we could never have gotten to had we not been unable to see the port that I really wanted to go to. So. If you hung on to your emotions of being angry and frustrated and disappointed and wanting to talk about the ship for a refund, then you missed this incredible experience. So be open. First, you can be disappointed, but then next you need to be open to what amazing thing will happen that you couldn't have otherwise known.
0: And the book has a lot of stories of great travels you've taken. What's one favorite trip and why was it so?
1: Oh, good question. Favorite trip? Okay, the spice markets in Istanbul. That was amazing. I mean, Istanbul was amazing for several reasons. One of them was it's an entirely different culture, it's both an Eastern and Western city. And we were staying in the Eastern part of the city where the Muslim traditions are very powerful. And at five in the morning, every morning, over the loudspeakers, which are everywhere, the Local imam would start singing prayers, and while people I was traveling with were quick to try to close the windows and get some more sleep, I thought it was fascinating, and I sat on the windowsill and I listened, and I just had chills because I thought, this is so powerful. This guides the people of Istanbul five times a day, basically to be mindful. And I was really struck by that. I was also struck by the smells and the colors and the textures in the spice market. Quite amazing. I have a picture in the book also of of the spice market, and it's an amazing place.
0: And there are a lot of examples and stories in the book that are about far-flung international trips you've taken. But you also make the point that don't forget about the local travel that we we can have. What's one favorite local trip you've taken or local excursion or journey that's been really memorable to you?
1: Well, I always think taking local bus trips are quite interesting. A lot of us depend so much on our cars that we forget about local public transportation. And we don't get to see things that are quite interesting because when you're on a bus or train, you don't have to pay attention to stoplights or traffic, car traffic. So some of the most interesting things I've done are local bus trips, train trips, hiking, where I pick a trail that I usually don't hike on, things like that, or even local neighborhood things. Sometimes you, when you take a walk, you always go the same way. And to shake things up, to be curious, to be childlike, go some other way. Or take a child or a dog for a walk because they see different kinds of things. They're much closer to the ground, and so they observe things differently. I mean, it sounds crazy, but if you can, get down on your, your hands and knees and look around, see how the world looks, and it's a different experience. Even sitting in your backyard, or for years, I used to sit and at, look at, it, at a certain tree out of my kitchen window, but when I was working, I really didn't have time to look at it. I just had, I mean, I knew it was there, but I never looked at it. And when I retired, I could sit at my kitchen counter with a cup of coffee and spend 20 minutes watching the tree and things happen on a tree. (laughs) Rain drops or glisten and just different things are birds are flying. So it's just even outside your window, notice things differently.
0: And not everyone can travel. But I'm curious about how can mindfulness enhance other types of travel, like a staycation or simple three-day weekend?
1: All right. Well, if you can't travel, then that is an option that's available to you. And I think sometimes people feel resentful. Either they don't have the time for travel or the money for travel or, or their body won't cooperate because they don't have the m- mobility. Uh, So the first thing, again, when you plan a staycation or a three-day weekend might be to put aside any resentment or disappointment that it can't be more, it can't be bigger, or make the time to make the time and the place grand. For example, would an overnight camping trip along and a trail ride on a horseback satisfy your craving for a longer ranch stay? for example. That's if you actually have the mobility and you can get away, but locally. Would a weekend with long baths and yoga classes on YouTube and healthy meals give you the feeling of a spa? Well, it's not a spa, but might could feel like one. Or what about a big city day trip with visits to a museum that you haven't been to before or botanical gardens? Or again, back to the bus tours. Take a tour like the travelers who come to your city, take a bus tour to see what's there. By the way, I never saw the Statue of Liberty until I was in my mid twenties living far away and came back to New York, which is where I'm from. Obviously, if you are listening, you can tell that. And my husband who was a Midwesterner took me to the Statue of Liberty. Now, why? Well, it's just, it was like background noise. And that's a terrible thing to say, but I think that is the way people deal with their own locale. So take a bus tour, take a trip to some place that you haven't really thought about in your local community. And just remember your searches for good substitutes during the COVID lockdown. People were really creative then because everyone was going stir crazy. And you had some things that you were able to do then.
0: Remember what those are. So what's your advice for people listening who are now getting ready to travel, perhaps again, on how to prepare for mindful travel?
1: Well, stay open to your experience. Again, watch how kids approach anything new with wonder and curiosity. Get close to experiences like, as I started to say before, dogs sniffing anything that they encounter, cats rubbing against objects, bees and hummingbirds checking out flowers. Enter the experience fully with all of your senses. Be there in real time. Remember, real time is the only time you have. We spend a lot of time in the future and in the past. In fact, in the book, there's a whole chapter about how do you see yourself? Where do you spend your time in the future, in the past, or in the present? Because the present is all there is. And again, the present can be wonderful even if the past and and maybe the future aren't so wonderful.
0: Appreciate that. And I'm wondering if you have time for two bonus topics based on our first conversation, because we got some comments from from listeners and others. One was about your own retirement experience. And for a lot of people, one of the biggest transition elements is lack of structure. All of a sudden you go from having a full calendar to total freedom, which sounds exciting, but can be daunting. How did you handle that? How would you recommend people think about that transition of adding your own structure to this?
1: That's a great question. And I think you have to consider first your personality and your temperament. There are some people that absolutely need to know what's going to come next. There's nothing wrong with that approach. I think that it's just who you are. And then there are other people who say, I'll retire and whatever comes, I'll be curious and open. That's nice. But many of us are not that way. From a very early age, we've been programmed to look ahead to see what's next and to go there before we're even ready to go there. I was one of the people who needed a lot of structure and I was kind of terrified. So I said, What can I do in my retirement that's different than anything I've ever done that might be interesting? And at least I have a starting point. It's basically, holding pattern till you discover what else might be even better. And I decided to learn how to play the cello. And I decided to write another book. I'd written two books while I was still working. And I decided I would combine my experience with learning the cello and writing a book about retirement and something called the vintage age, finding your inner writer, artist, musician after 60. and. I went to San Francisco with my husband, supposedly we were just going to look in a music store at cellos and impulsively, and I really mean impulsively, I bought one and a case and a bow and then went home and tried to play. And of course I couldn't. Well, that was the start of it. And I—and frankly, I was nearly 70 when I started and everyone said, you can't do that. It's ridiculous. Well, okay, I'm still playing and it's, it's actually, I'll, it tells you how old I am been 13, almost 13 years. I play with an orchestra. I've played with quartets. I play by myself. I practice every day. Am I any good? No, but I do it anyway. And you don't have to be good at this point in your life. I'm not auditioning to be part of a major orchestra. I don't want to be, yo. I mean, I'd like to be yo-yo ma, but I'm never going to. So What I did is I found something to occupy my time so I didn't have a lot of anxiety about all of the open space. I also told myself I had to have a couple of other anchors in place. Find your anchors. It doesn't matter what they are, and it doesn't matter whether you discard them when you're comfortable, but you need to start out by being comfortable. For me, it was going to the gym. I decided if I play the cello every day and I went to the gym and I kept writing, that I had enough to keep me busy so I wouldn't go crazy. And if one of them didn't turn out to be good, I would find something else. But I worked with a lot of people with writing that book who just said, I'm just gonna smell the roses. And they were comfortable doing that. And in discovering they smelled the roses, then they decided to paint the roses, and then they decided to write about the roses. And then they were off in another direction and that was fine too.
0: But it sounds like with your three anchors, that still gave you the flexibility to do other things as you would choose. Right. Well, the whole idea
1: of not being an academic anymore or having a a private practice as a psychologist was to create open space. But too much open space becomes terrifying. So what I did is I tried to titrate enough space so that I was still comfortable, but I had enough activity to three activities, and that's like three legs of a stool, so I felt kind of grounded.
0: Thanks for sharing that. The other topic that people follow up on is the guided autobiography work that you do, and wondering if you're going to form a group virtually around this. What are your thoughts on, on what you have going on in that space?
1: Yeah, guided autobiography is something that I got into relatively recently because it combines all of my awareness, knowledge of being a psychologist without some of the uh, most demanding requirements. And it also includes my ability to write and my interest in writing. So guided autobiography basically is a way of people looking at themselves and trying to think about their life stories and write them. Humans are storytellers. But more than that, story writing is a more immersive, deeper experience. Anyway, so last time I was on your show, Joe, several people contacted me about wanting a guided autobiography group and could they be in one? And it would be by Zoom because there are people as far flung as Australia who've indicated an interest. So I've still got a few openings in a group that I'm thinking of starting in the summer or the fall. It'd probably be a four session or six session group, maybe once a week. So if anyone's interested, you can contact me and Joe has the contact information.
0: Great. We'll have the link in the show notes. And for me, I'm waiting for your group cello lesson program, which I know will follow, follow up.
1: <laughs> well, it won't be me teaching it, that's for <laughs> sure.
0: <laughs> but thank you for sharing these extra insights. Great to talk to you once again. And thanks for sharing your wisdom on the inward traveler. Thank you, Joe. So a few takeaways you can apply if you have travel in your future. Number one, don't just plan where you're going to go. Also plan for how you're going to roll when you get there. Hacking the beginner's mind is a wise move. I think Francine Toter mentioned a number of times about how you can notice more if you have the right mindset, if you're traveling more mindfully. So take a different approach, get more out of where you're going this year. Number two, take advantage of the chance to try out a new you. Great point by Francine Toter. Use this opportunity as a way to test out some new behaviors. If you typically do one thing, try the opposite. You'll find it to be a great way to step out of your comfort zone, and it might just help you when you return. And number three, find your anchors. This is about retirement, not necessarily travel, but I think she made an important point there about Identify the three legs of the stool, three activities that you're going to organize your time around to provide structure as you begin your new life in retirement. Great example she had something for health, something for learning, and something creative. What's your three? Find your three anchors. Thanks for listening to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. My mission is to help you live a better life in retirement and retire smarter by balancing your planning, to add in the whole other half of retirement planning, which is how are you going to invest your time? Thanks for listening. You can find more resources and all of our episodes at our website, retirementwisdom.com.